Welcome to the third season of Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikar, a podcast where we take apart the song covers we love and explore the stories behind them. With me, Stephanie Shanikar. We're kicking off this season with a guest who is one of the people who makes this show happen. And he also happens to be one of the first kindred spirits I met here at the University of Maryland. A true audiophile and music lover, Nat Kuhn. Nat is a musician and the assistant director of computing services and classroom support at UMD's College of Arts and Humanities, where I serve as dean. He's also the recording engineer for this third season of Cover Story. He chose our song for this episode, Killing Me Softly. Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel originally wrote this song with Laurie Lieberman. Lieberman released it in 1972, but that version is largely unknown. We'll talk a little bit about her in this episode, but we'll actually be doing something a little different. In this episode, we'll mainly focus on two versions that are both covers. First up is the version that put the song on the map and the one you probably know. Strumming my pain with his finger. The version performed by Roberta Flack. She released it a year after Lieberman's version on her album Killing Me Softly. It won the 1974 Grammy Award for Record of the Year. Nat and I sat down in a studio that Nat himself designed to talk about this song and the power music has to make us feel known at a level that can be surprisingly personal. And like always, we debated a bit about which version is better, the Roberta Flack version or the Fugees. If the 90s were an important time period in your musical experience, like they were for Nat and me, that's a song that will really take you back. Will nostalgia tip the balance on which cover wins? Our decisions might surprise you. Plus, in this episode, we'll do something we've never done before. Nat will try a mashup of some of the elements of both versions with some in-studio performance. Enjoy this episode of Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikon. So Nat, what's the song we're going to talk about today? We are talking about a song that I did not know was a cover until several years after I heard it for the first time as a 14-year-old. Uh, that is uh, Killing Me Softly, uh, Fuji's 1996, mm-hmm. and uh, Roberta Flack, 1973. Yep. Two excellent songs. Uh, but before we get into Killing Me Softly, which really is is a beautiful song, I want to start with how you came to music, how you became, and and you're, you're, you're a white guy from Oregon. From middle of nowhere in Oregon, <laughs> Roseburg, exactly. a town someone out there will have heard of. Okay. Um, so uh, my dad played um, guitar in churches growing up, and I basically, uh, my my dad, one of my uncles on that side of the family, one of my uncles on the, um, on my uncle on my mom's side of the family, all played guitar. So I had people around that were mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. And when the time came, as every good American child plays the recorder in the fourth grade, oh God, yes. <laughs> I played the recorder in the fourth grade and I was uh, inspired enough to want to move into band in the fifth grade, played, started on clarinet 
After a couple of years, went to bass clarinet. That wasn't big and low enough for me, so then I went to baritone saxophone in the marching band. Oh, now that's low. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was really sad because, like, I let society convinced me that I needed to take like a computer modeling class in high school and so I actually wasn't in music class in, mm-hmm. in my senior mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when um, graduation came, I went out with $200 of graduation money, snuck out of the house, went to a pawn shop and bought my first bass guitar and I snuck it back into the house. I don't know why I was hiding it from my dad, like I was going to get in trouble for but Tell me why the bass guitar. Because it was even bigger and lower than the baritone <laughs> okay. saxophone. <laughs> okay, and there was a history of guitars in the family. Anyway, yeah, right? yeah, mm-hmm. it, it appealed to me. I mean, I think at that point I had been immersed in popular music enough uh, with all of my friends listening to um, a wide variety of you know alternative rock. I, the 90s were a great time for a variety of, mm-hmm. of music, um, and that was the sound, for whatever reason, that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Clearly, alternative rock that that would lend itself well, I think, if we're thinking in stereotypical um, terms, to a young white guy. I was from just Oregon. five hours south of grunge. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Um, but '90s is also hip hop, right? Yes, so there's very. a lot of hip hop going on in in the '90s. I think some of the best hip hop is is in the '90s. I think I'd agree. Well, not that I'm an expert, but that's no, no. that's what I'm partial mm-hmm. to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's your your generation of American culture. Yeah. Is that hip hop was everywhere, um, not just in in Brooklyn and the Bronx, but it by this time it had really spread across the country to places like Oregon, where 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 people were consuming it. Yeah. So that gives us a, a good um, segue into talking about this song. You mentioned the Fuji's version first. Yes. Yep. And. The fact that they covered Roberta Flack, yep. 1973. Yep. <laughs> However, there's a story here, right? There is. So, so, did Roberta write the song? No, although <laughs> okay. the, the late learning is, is that apparently the orchestration that was put together for, for, for her version was her baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. there's she an interview. She talks about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can find interviews of people going, oh, well, you know, you brought us in to just play what you're playing. And... So, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, no, this was a, uh, I, I do not remember the songwriters' names too much bouncing around, but I do so know. Charles Fox and Norman Gimble. That's mm-hmm. correct, yeah. Um, so they wrote the, the lyrics and did the original composition for um, Lori, uh, Lori Lieberman. Mm-hmm. I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. And so I came to see him to listen for a while. And that, so she recorded it in 72. Yeah, and that track was, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't inspiring. It didn't chart, yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and she talks about um, the fact, and so Laurie Lieberman um, actually was sort of a co-writer, although had not been credited much. She wrote the song because, or at least she wrote notes for the song, because she went to a Don McLean concert and was just so moved by, by him yeah. and the music. Yeah. Um, and so, again, that's a whole story about how the song came to be. I think my favorite takeaway from that part of the story, if I may, is mm-hmm. the part where people asked Don McLean about it, and he was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about the credit. I just am delighted somebody was moved by seeing me play. And I was like, oh, you're a musician's musician. I know, I know. How gracious, right? (laughs) Um, 
So let's talk about Roberta Flack yeah. versus the Fugees. Yeah. I grew up with the Flack version, but I know where I was almost when the when the Fugees came out with their album, sure. the score. Yeah. Um, and this Great song album. was like right in the middle of that album. Yep. And so I came to see him and listen for a while. Um, it features. A very, very straightforward, old-school hip-hop beat mm -hmm. to it. Um, the instrumentation, however, is easily the most sparse I've ever heard on any hip-hop track. Mm -hmm. It is mostly just the drum beats for most of the song. Mm -hmm. And most of the bass work, I, I think it's a synthesizer, um, but it's just like eighth notes, yeah. eighth and quarter yeah. notes. And it's steady all the way through. And it drops out, It's it, it is it her voice into, yeah, singing so. that carries the verses, and then it's the chorus, she's mm -hmm. got the bass as the backup. And so the bass comes into the chorus as a sort of something, an, an, another layer. It's like layer. a reinforcement, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then it drops back out, and then it comes back for the chorus. Yeah. Um, and this is what makes that the Fuji's version so different. Yeah. From the Roberta Flack version. Although in reflection, um, as I listened to the Roberta Flack version with critical ears on, the voice in that track that most directly supports her singing is also the bass. With this terms of the way that the the mixing was done you're if you're listening passively the, the two voices that you're going to hear primarily are hers and the bass mm -hmm. and then the electric keyboard um, probably a Rhodes not that I know that much about that field but is is there and it's supporting both of those two things but mm -hmm. the main interplay is between bass and vocals that's and I think that's fascinating mm -hmm. that I don't know if they did that on purpose mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the album notes I have for the score is those three are tremendous music dorks. Like every single song, you get three or four music acts name dropped. <laughs> Sometimes with little snippets of song performances inside of it. All right, so we're talking here about Lauren Hill, yeah. Croswell, um, Michelle, yeah, yeah. and Wyclef Jean. Yeah. Three amazing artists, yeah. you know, that are um, extremely knowledgeable. Yeah, right? definitely. Um, and and really re recording this album in a very like down-home grungy way you know <laughs> they're recording it in somebody's basement yeah. you know it's it's pretty amazing how this this album came to be it it's interesting because in it, like that is a note that i did not know but it squares very clearly with how straightforward most of the arrangements are how how little not I don't want to say little work how few instruments there are going into any given track um, there's it's not real heavy on samples it's not real heavy on synthesizer stuff it sits in this very interesting place it's kind of between that synth versus mm -hmm. uh, sample mm -hmm. kind of hip-hop mm -hmm. realm yeah and and speaking of samples there's something about the Fuji's version that makes it stand out that when you hear that first the sitar the little synthesized sitar beat, yeah, yep. That so just like there's a is. dagger in the brainstem that's like, oh, I'm 14 again. What a delight! <laughs> exactly, and we know that that comes from um, Tribe Called Quest, yeah, and 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 they're really really. Um, successful song called Bonita Applebaum that I also grew up on. 
Why I love this song so much, Nat, is that it reflects what I think of as the power of music. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's one reading of, of this song that may be, oh my gosh, it's a girl that's like pining for a guy and, and, <laughs> and so on. But if you really look beneath that and think about the essence of the message of this song, yeah. it is also about how powerful music can be. Yeah, right. the whole the whole story. If you believe the people that tell it, which I do, I don't mm -hmm. I don't agree with the songwriters saying no. That's not how it happened because mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, telling telling the story from the perspective of somebody who saw a performance and saw somebody through the power of their song reading into their life. You know, it's it, you know we uh, we talk a lot about parasocial relationships in the here and the now in the present day. Um, with how uh, uh, weird and um, uh, social every single piece of media seems to have gotten. To, to hear somebody talk about that in the context of the early 70s, I mean, parasocial relationships have existed forever, but there it is in a song. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is this is a sensation that's brought out to the to the rest of the to the world as being triggered by a dude with a guitar, mm -hmm. you know, singing a song. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that it speaks to is that sort of what it feels like to to encounter somebody that gets you, mm -hmm. and and how you reconcile that mm -hmm. encounter with uh, they don't know me. That, right. So the song, um, Killing Me Softly, is really about the ways in which this music can move an individual, you know, killing me softly with his song, yeah. you know, um, he's, he's sort of um, strumming my pain, yeah. you know, and it's, it's so personal that it's, it's, a, it's embarrassing, you know. <laughs> killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. So Roberta sings it intimate, as yeah, yeah. as you said, um, and probably not the same degree of intimacy for the Fujis. Why is that? What do they do with it that kind of strips away the the intimacy and makes it a little bit more or a little, a little, little bit less intimate? I think that one of the things that makes it definitely change sensation a little bit is that you've got the... You have the, the ad-libs at the beginning and the end. Yeah. Um, there are other people there. That's right. That is 100%. You cannot Wyclef deny just... shows up. Yeah. Quite Wyclef often. is there having a good time. <laughs> um, and in the, in the outro, um, you hear both of them doing the ad-libs. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if in the intro you hear Lauren Hill's voice as well. The Fujis themselves, two of them are Haitian. 
you know. Um, So, you know, we know that the Fujis, their name comes from the refugees. Um, And as someone myself who is a black woman who um, is is an immigrant also, I know that the the identity is really it's complicated because you're black but you're not you're not from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that comes through also in the ways in which they sample, yeah. in the way in, in the ways in which they pull together and um, piece together different um, parts of, of black culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikon. Coming up after the break, Nat Kuhn will bring out his bass guitar to try something special our first ever mashup of the two versions we're discussing in this episode. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Erin Hay. Some of our favorite moments at KBIA come from producing conversations just like these, the ones that make you pause, laugh, and wonder. And this fall, we're releasing brand new episodes of our award-winning podcast, including Cover Story, High Turnout, Wide Margins, and our newest show, Canned Peaches. You can find this Cover Story episode and more online at kbia.org or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikon. Now... Back to my conversation with Nat Kuhn about the classic song, Killing Me Softly. So Nat is a bass player. We've already established that. Um, and I wa- I'm, I'm going to beg him to, to, to do something for us. Um, <laughs> I think it would be so interesting because I made him bring in his bass guitar. Um, I'd love to hear what it would l- sound like. We've established that what makes Roberta Flack's version um, different from um, Lauren Hill and the Fuji's version is that the Fuji's have this bass guitar steady on the on the chorus. And so, if what would happen if we went back to Roberta's version and we added the base. So um, we're going to try it. All right. So I'm going to pull up the track. I'll play along with it. Mm -hmm. And when we get to the, Mm -hmm. to the um, chorus, um, I'll just do kind of what the bass line in the Mm -hmm. Fuji's track sounds like. Strumming my bed with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song. Stranger 
are the part that I find to be the most interesting about this this mm-hmm. um, thing and it's like full disclosure is that there are two versions of playing this song in my head right mm-hmm. now one is the very straightforward synth based song the sounds of the of the Fugees mm-hmm. and the other is the Roberta Flack version mm-hmm. and the challenge comes in they're in two different keys oh, okay the Fugees sing it of down course. a half step that's right <laughs> uh, there are two different speeds mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm very different styles as well Mm -hmm. um and i think to me uh musically one of the most interesting things about the original well the 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 roberta flack version is it's 1973 and you're hearing bass chords in a number one song i think number one yes it does go to number one and and it wins the grammys and all of that and it is that that is astounding Mm -hmm. to think about because um bass is traditionally the hardest instrument to record correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, no one could get microphones that sounded great on a bass until the late 60s. So this whole world of bringing this stuff into the studio was mm-hmm. like brand new, like five years old mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe four years old. Apparently it took 18 months to record this album. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's inspiring because so so many places that shows up later um, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I have, to, I have to assume that somewhere between this and the uh, echoing on... Um, not echoing a uh, reverb on uh, "Come Together" from the mm-hmm. Beatles. Mm-hmm. That's got to be like the mm-hmm. other first place that mm-hmm. you heard more than one bass note at the same mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and it's just it's beautiful. Oh, and one more thing that I wanted to to, to note between the Roberta Flack version yeah. and the Fuji's version, which we're gonna come now down to you having to make a choice on on which one is better. Oh, and I'm ready. Better. Oh, I'm are ready. you? Okay, yeah. hold on, hold on. <laughs> um, the the other the other thing I I think that we must mention is vernacular you know that yeah. that when um, Lauren Hill sings she changes the word boy to boy that also speaks to the the moment yeah. you know and the fact that um, Roberta Flack is from the south and the Fujis are from New Jersey, and but also Haiti, yeah, yeah. And, and and so on. Um, anything else that you can think of that we haven't covered in in the differences? I mean, all I can tell you is is I am very grateful that both of these songs, both of the versions of these songs, exist. Yeah. They're both wonderful in their own way. They are, but. As I always do. It's time. <laughs> it's time. So again, um, Nat, you know, you know what I do. Um, I ask you to give um, to give a portion of a hundred to one version, and then the rest goes to the other version. So I am very curious to hear what you have to, to say about this. I mean, I'll tell you right now, the winner for me is the Roberta Flack version. <gasps> And, and there's a degree of recency bias here because it's new and exciting to me. So I'm going to try and keep my score fair. 
Now, if I was based solely off of off of the the impetus of uh, the impulse of nostalgia, I would say the Fugees. Mm-hmm. I think that because I, that's the one you first. I was 14, mm-hmm. and and it will always and forever take me to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that from my perspective as as an adult who's kind of into production and and songwriting and well maybe not songwriting but arrangement and performance and, and the well, like I'm gonna have we're gonna have to talk about songwriting <laughs> later on <laughs> I think that I think that Roberta Flack's performance is more of Lauren Hill's version than in other covers and mm-hmm. I think that without that interpretation I don't I don't know if it would have come up, mm-hmm. you know, and and I have to imagine that probably for me as you know, and again as a musician, it's like it's just a more interesting listen, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think for that reason, I'd probably go. I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up. I'm gonna go 66 percent. So we're doing a two thirds for Roberta <laughs> <Okay>. Flack. <laughs> Most of the time, people pick nice, even fives and tens. No, I'm going with I'm going with thirds because I'm all about those odd time signatures. All right, right. so sixty-six thirty-three. Yeah, I think sixty-six thirty-three. Interesting. And and I that is that is a high high value thirty-three. I'm not sure how many times in this series of of podcast my my little podcast I'm not sure we've I've ever had. Well, certainly, I've never had someone do sixty-six thirty-three, <laughs> um, but but I really um, I'm I'm blown away by the the weight that you're giving. I really to, like the original to um, Roberta Flack. I would kind of give them fifty-fifty, honestly, um, it, it, because yeah. the Fuji's version. I love Lauren Hill. I love that they put this this song on a hip hop album yeah, yeah. and made it quite hip hop um, and brought it to a new audience. Um, yeah, and the Fuji just have a very special place in my heart. Um, so I'm gonna do 50-50. I'm totally okay with that because <laughs> here's the other part I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give the albums they come off of, like oh. 90-10, the Fuji's. Of course, duh. <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> all right, so um, this has been a, what I knew would, would be a pleasure, Nat. Thank you. Thank you for um, sort of being being open and for showing me a little bit of your 14-year-old self um, <laughs> and um, for really helping me with this podcast on the whole. So, you bet. Thank you, Nat. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikon. We're talking about the songs we all love, the stories behind them, and how they live on through covers. I'm Stephanie Shanikon. On the next episode, I'll be talking with Heather Gray. We're going to look at a deeply emotional song that takes many to a place of remembrance. Wind Beneath My Wings. It's a song that connects anyone experiencing grief whether collective or individual. 
and artists like Bette Midler and Gerald and Eddie Levert capture that emotion distinctly in their respective versions of the song. That's next time on Cover Story with Stephanie Shonikon. Cover Story with Stephanie Shonikon is produced by Caitlin McElwain, Janet Saidi, Ryan Famuliner, and Aaron Hay, with me, Stephanie Shonikon. Special thanks to Nat Kuhn, recording engineer at the University of Maryland. This podcast is a collaboration between KBIA News and Vox Magazine. You can find more about this podcast on Twitter at KBIA and at VoxMag. And check out more about the podcast in the current issue of Vox Magazine at voxmagazine.com. See you next time.